Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Have you ever just really hoped that a hunt would go the way that you wanted it to go? Well, this hunt did, and today I'm going to tell you the story and give you some of the strategies that went into it to help you be more successful too. Hey, and welcome to the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast and YouTube channel, helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. I'm your host, George Kanidis, and today I want to tell you about an amazing turkey hunt that happened just a few days ago uh, on opening day in Pennsylvania. Now, we're talking about, you know, a hunt that just, it was everything I wanted it to be, and it, it just, it went perfectly, and I needed it to go perfectly. Because last year, I got skunked turkey hunting. I hunted more days. I hunted harder than I've ever hunted before. And I had the least, I had the worst success I've ever had. Not only did I not take a turkey, I did not see a gobbler. I did not see a jake. I did not have visual contact with a bird the entire season, even from 200 yards away. It was just, you know, really discouraging. And then they come at it on opening day and have this happen. It was just, it feels like a redemption story. So I'm going to get into that and then also give you guys some of the strategies that went into it to, that you can add some to your playbook and help you next time. So I got out there, um, you know, at a good time in the morning. I pulled up at about 5 a.m. Now the place that I was hunting, this is really one of the strategies is finding a good location. But the place was I was hunting at was a smallish 20 acre parcel, 20 huntable acres that was mostly a hilltop slash plateau. Probably about half of it is sort of this hilltop plateau kind of thing. And then all, all the sides, it's, it just slopes down steeply to, you know, in the valleys and other properties and so on. But I know from experience 
Turkeys like to roost in some of the big hardwoods that sort of uh, rim the, the edge there right before it drops down to that, that steep downward slope. Uh, and also I did a bunch of scouting. I've seen turkeys there this year with my own two eyes. I've got a couple of trail cam videos of some turkeys on the property and then a few other accounts of birds in the area as well. So I know there's birds around there. I know they're on there this year. Last year was nothing. I did not see, hear, no evidence, no trail cam photos, you know, nothing to let you think a turkey might even have ever walked in this place. Although in previous years, I've had good success there. So did my scouting, found the area, and the place that I went to set up on was a small, small, just planted clover patch, which means it was basically just bare dirt with a, a couple little tiny green tidbits sticking out of it. This was about a 15th of an acre that I had just planted a few weeks prior, mostly for deer, but I thought, you know what, it could also improve the turkey hunting uh, this year. I wasn't, you know, not a lot of hope there, but, you know, open areas, things like that, fresh dirt, that can be something that's appealing to birds to loaf around there and to strut there. So I thought, well, this could be maybe somewhat helpful for this job too. So I got that set up. Now I, I came in there, this clover patch is in the middle of basically a five-way intersection. There are five big trails that come together right around where this clover patch is. And I don't mean like, you know, little deer trails through the woods. I mean, big enough to drive a, uh, you know, an ATV or a car around on. Just big open lanes going through there. Some were natural, some were just put in by the logging company that came through and took, you know, between 30 and 70% of the timber off the land, more in certain places, less in others. Uh, now, normally that wouldn't be something that I would say is a good thing for turkey hunting, but they knocked down a lot of timber, so they created a lot of side cover. And now you've got a lot more sun coming through, causing regeneration and green to spring up. So I think actually the logging improved the turkey habitat, and they still left plenty of hardwoods for roosting and so on. So I got this five-way intersection. I decided to set up there. I put a few decoys in the middle of the clover patch. Now, I'm not a decoy fan. If you guys listen to previous episodes, I regularly am warning new hunters against using decoys as a blanket strategy. I believe decoys have a time and place, but I believe too often, and especially too often for new hunters, that too much trust gets put in decoys. I think people... They, they, they use them in too many situations and the wrong situations and actually end up having problems rather than benefits created by the decoys. But there is still a time and place to use decoys, and I've talked about that, and I felt like this was one of those. Because I was setting up at a big tree on the corner of this clover patch, and there's, it's a five-way intersection. I can't see all five ways. So where I set up, I could see three ways and I could turn and shoot a fourth if I had reason to. But the fifth way was 100% blind. And even the fourth way, I was basically blind. So I didn't know which direction the turkeys might come from. And they could see a long way off on those big open trails. 
and it was flat. So I thought, you know what, if I put some decoys here in the middle of this intersection, whichever way the birds come, they will see these decoys and hopefully not see me and they'll they'll come into the decoys and maybe walk right past me if they're in one of the trails that that I don't have eyes on and if they're coming from one of the other ways then you know it could help just the same because I was setting up relatively close to this opening I wasn't on the dirt of the open area but I was right next to it so I thought if there's something else the turkeys can look at other than me because it was a, a pretty open area that would be a benefit. So I felt like it was a good situation to use decoys for this particular hunt. So I get in there at about five o'clock, got my decoys set up, sat down at about 5.30, about 25 minutes before legal shooting light. Normally I'd like to be in a little bit earlier. I didn't think it would take me as long to, to hike in and get set up as it did, but you know, it is what it is. So while I'm still fidgeting, trying to sit down, I hear this turkey gobble. He's probably 150 or so yards away. He is roosted in one of those trees around the rim of, of that plateau before it slopes down, just in the area I was hoping it would be. And he starts the sound off. And I'm, you know, like just finished my fidgeting. Thankful I didn't spook him. And he's just gobbling and gobbling and gobbling. In fact, he probably gobbled 30, 40, 50 times before daylight. So he's going on and on and on. So I sat there for a few minutes, didn't make any sounds, just catching my breath, you know, getting my feel for the surroundings. And I picked up my slate call and I just did some real soft yelps. Not a lot of them, just a few real soft yelps and purrs on my very quiet slate call, not the loud one. I got a quiet one and a loud one. And you know, you wouldn't think a bird would be able to hear those noises from that distance. And you're like, well, how do you know he heard them? Well, at that point I didn't because he just kept gobbling nonstop. He didn't really change his gobble routine. And I started hearing some other birds at a distance, you know, far away off the property, long ways off, but it was a good morning for gobbling. So I was happy about that. And now there could have been another turkey with this one that I'm telling you about. I did at one point felt like I heard a different toned gobble, but could have just been him, you know, messing up or there could have been another one back there somewhere, but uh, I never had confirmation on that. So it gets to be about 10 minutes before legal shooting light. I pick up the slate call. I gave it just a few more real quiet yelps and um, some some purring you know in PA 10 minutes before legal shooting time is still basically pitch black so I just you know pretending to be another hen in a tree and just some real quiet yelps just trying to put it in his mind hey there's a turkey over there somewhere maybe that's where you want to go when you fly down well that's about 10 minutes before shooting light uh, a couple about five minutes later he stops gobbling you know, you don't know what that means. You're not sure what to make of it. You know, sure, he was maybe taking a minute or two off here and there, but it was pretty consistent. And all of a sudden, I heard him roar probably 60, 70 yards away from the ground. Just loud, you know, like this bird is right over there. This is, something is really happening here. So that's how I knew 
he could hear my soft tree yelps and purrs because he flew down from the roost and was coming straight in my direction. Right, so I heard him come down. At this point, I'm watching the clock. Right, I'm just waiting, watching my watch. Like, okay. And as soon as the minute struck for legal shooting time, covered up my watch, picked up my slate call, and I normally don't do a lot of slate calling. I'm, I, I prefer the box call most of the time. But I, and in fact, I reached for my box call, and I thought, you know what, he has flown down and come this way. He's being attracted by the slate call. That's working. There's no reason to change calls right now. So I picked up the slate call, and I just gave a short series of regular volume yelps. Nothing loud, nothing fancy. Just like three or four yelps, maybe five, I don't know. Regular volume, not, not super soft, not loud by any means. And then I just put the call down and put the gun up on my knee and sitting there going like, could this really happen right now? You know, could it really just work textbook like this? So I'm sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And well, I guess I wasn't waiting that long, but it felt like an eternity. According to my watch, it was about two minutes later. I see what I thought at first was a stick, like a white stick. And I thought, nope, sticks are, don't walk. And it came right through the tree line. He didn't even come on one of the five trails. He just came right through the wood line into a clearing on the other opposite my clover patch that I'm watching. So he comes out of the wood line. He's walking real slow. He's looking around. He looks at me. He looks at the decoys. He looks at me. He looks at the decoys. I can see the beard. He's already within range probably 35 yards, maybe less at that point, but I cannot take the shot. Uh, there's just, there's no way I can move. My gun is facing about 30 to 40 degrees the other direction because I thought that's where he was most likely to pop out. And there are no trees between me and him. There is no brush between me and him. And he's on guard, but he's within range. So what did I do? Well, I did a whole bunch of nothing other than, you know, just sit there with your heart racing, hand shaking, and vision getting blurry at, you know, how exciting and nerve-wracking this moment is. Your body's just struggling to keep up with the adrenaline. So he takes a couple steps, just a few steps. He's walking towards me, but sort of around the perimeter uh, in the, you know, towards the uh, clover patch. And he takes a few steps, and man, he lets out a gobble. He just roars right there. And I knew from that gobble that when I first heard this turkey gobble on the ground, he was a lot closer than I was expecting him to be. In fact, had I really thought of how close he was, I may not even have called again because uh, he was looking right where I was because he was expecting to see. He saw my decoys over 15 yards but he's expecting to see another hen where I'm at. So he's looking for the other hen. And had I known that's where he was at, I, I probably wouldn't have, have called again at that time. I, I probably would have just let him come in the way he was coming. But I was wearing, I was turkey hunting for the first time with my Tetra Hearing Alpha Shields with uh, the... Uh, 
with the, the turkey feature built into them, which is basically a uh, active hearing protection. So it's kind of like a hearing aid concept. You put them in your ears and it magnifies the specific sound waves and patterns that turkeys make. So you can hear them a little better and from further away. And then whenever you pull the trigger, they cancel out. They, they basically, they read that high decibel sound, turn off the speaker inside of the hearing aid and they become earplugs. So I think that was causing me to, to think he was a little further away than he was. But whatever, he came in and there he is. So he gobbles, he stretched his tail. He didn't fan out, but he gave his tail a little stretch. He took another step or two and then he started to turn his body uh, towards the decoys as if he's just going to walk right into the decoys. Well, I said, you know what, if he's turning, He's, he's changing his position. He's starting to walk in that direction. He's got a plan. He has an idea. He knows what he's going to do. He's no longer on guard assessing the situation because he started gobbling and, and changing his position. He is now committing to coming in. And I thought, okay, I'm not a turkey psychologist, but that was enough for me. I just swung my gun right over from left to right, 30, 40 degrees, put the front bead of that old Mossberg 930 right on his neck and pulled the trigger all in one motion. Just turn, bang. And man, he didn't see nothing. He didn't flinch. He didn't spook. He, I don't think he even noticed that I moved because it was still relatively dark at that point. And I pulled that trigger and down he went three minutes after legal shooting time kicked in. Three minutes after legal shooting hours started. And that was, that was all she wrote. He was down. He was on the ground. I'm sitting there. You know, the sun is not even up yet. And just completely and totally, you know, amazed and astounded. And when you got those, those earplugs in, like you can hear everything around you, right? Because they're, that's a, it's a, it's a microphone and a speaker. So whatever is going on outside, it captures that through the microphone that puts it in the speaker in your ear. But when you pull the trigger, it's not like everything goes quiet. Uh, it basically, it just made my shotgun sound like a BB gun, but I could still hear everything else. So I pulled the trigger, shotgun sounds like a BB gun. And then I hear the echo of the shotgun coming back from the hills and the topography around. It was, it's pretty cool experience. So I did that, he's down. You know, I'm just waiting just in case. I've learned before, don't jump up and cheer because the turkey might get back up, you know, and then you left your gun on the ground or you're tangled up. So I just wait a minute. Nope, he's down. He's not getting up. This thing's over. So at that point, I actually had to wait to go and, and get my video camera because I came back and shot a video just telling the story of the hunt, kind of like what I'm doing now, but I was able to show everything. All right, here's the five trails. Here's the clover patch. Here's this area. Here's the cover over here. Here's the tree. This is why this is a good spot. So I'll link to that video in the show notes. So you can go to newhuntersguide.com. You can check out the show notes for this episode. And I'll put a link there to that video. I'll also put a photo of the turkey. And then you talk about a beautiful burn. I think this is the most beautiful turkey I have ever taken. I mean, the tail was just perfect. Every feather on this bird was just perfect. Beautiful beard. 
just gorgeous. The meat was perfect. I mean, it was everything you wanted it to be all said and done before 6 a.m. Now, some people will be like, well, you know, George, then your turkey season's over on the first day. Well, if I was thinking like that, then I just shouldn't even go out the first day, right? Because, you know, what if that happens? No, I couldn't have been happier. And of course, this year I bought the second turkey tag just in case I got a turkey on the first day and then wanted to go out a few more times. So I already got that under control. In PA, you can buy a second turkey tag. Um, I think it's like 21 bucks or something like that. And uh, so I already had that in hand. I could already go out another day, but man, it was an awesome hunt. It was exactly what I needed after having a year with no turkeys. Just go in there. So what are the strategies? Well, I've already, I've already talked about them, but let me just call them to your attention. Number one, location, location, location. Scouted that location. Made sure there were turkeys there. Did my recon. Now I didn't, I didn't, you know, go out every night. I didn't roost this bird. You know, I didn't go to that extent. I don't have that kind of time, but I did what I could do within the time that I had, which I think in grand total, I probably made three or four trips to the property preseason. And those three and four trips were to set up and check trail cameras and then install the clover patch and then read, you know, camera cards and so on. Um, but I actually saw more turkeys with my physical eyes than I did with the cameras. So I had the confidence to know they're in that area. They like that hilltop. They like to be up there during the day. So even if they roost elsewhere, there was still a good chance that they were going to end up there at some point throughout the morning. So number one, location. Number two, setup. All right, I had a good tree. I had the right spot on, on that property. That five-way intersection was a good setup. And then I used decoys the right time, the right place, the right way. And I do believe those decoys um, may have made the difference. I know they made a difference, but they may have made the difference on this hunt. Would he have still come in? within range and me get a shot without the decoys. I'm convinced he would have still come within range because when he came out of the woods, I don't think he could see the decoys yet. But I got my shot when he turned to come in towards the decoys and let his guard down. So when I have gotten that shot or a shot without spooking him, that's, you know, that's the part we don't know. We'll never know, but I know the decoys made a difference and in this hunt, they may have made the difference. Uh, but, you know, you never know how it could go down. Number three, soft calling. I'm convinced a lot of people, they call too loud, too often, and at the wrong times. You know, there is a place to really crank on that box call or that glass call and just shake the tops of the trees. But that, that is not a time even for every hunt. And that's certainly not something to do before it's even light enough to see, right? You, you turkeys are not on the ground when it's pitch black calling up a storm. I've never seen a hen do that, never heard of a hen do that. But I have seen hens fly down and call up a storm once, right? Once, and then that's it for the day. You know, then they're, they're, they're relatively quiet the rest of the day. So... 
you know, to just sit there and hammer on your call all morning and all day in the same location, it's just unnatural. It's just unnatural and not saying that could never work, but you're more likely to, to put birds off, especially birds that have been hunted before, I think, than, than you are to draw them in. So soft calling is, I think, very underrated, and which makes sense if you think about it. But, you know, just calling quietly, calling softly, just, you know, doing what real hens do, which is not just scream and, and hammer on it. It's, it's intermittent, you know, purrs and clucks and yelps, not too often, not too loud, especially at that time of the morning, right? Especially before they fly down, that's the kind of sounds that they do if they do sounds. And I didn't hear any hen sounds this morning, which was even more the reason why I started making some calls, because I wanted to seed my direction in his brain for when he did fly down, which I thought was probably going to be an hour later than it actually was, that he would come towards me. But that's exactly what happened. Next one is patience. Patience. You're like, well, the, you know, your hunt was over in, uh, in three minutes. Well, no. Well, yes, it was. But here's the thing. That last minute is where all the patience was. You know, everything in you wants to say, there's a turkey, shoot it. But if he's staring at you at 30 yards, 35 yards, and you swing your gun around, he could be back in the woods and gone before you pull the trigger. You can, you know, his head could be out of view. You could see his tail. He could be jumping, flying. You don't know what he could do. But there's a great chance that if you just acted and jerked and did something, you could have messed that up. So I only waited a minute but it was the longest minute of my life, all right? Had to wait for the opportune moment. Now, I'm a firm believer in take the first decent ethical shot that you're presented with. But I don't feel that I had a decent shot until he put his guard down and started to turn and walk towards the, decal, the decoys. I thought that was my first sh fair shot that I could take without spooking the bird. And I took it and got him. Now, it would have been a mistake, I think, to wait for him to walk into the decoy, see if he's going to kick my Jake around and, uh, you know, just watch this festivity unfold because you don't know what could happen, right? I'm not filming a video. I, didn't, I took my camera, but I left it in the car. I thought I'd rather get a turkey than a video of a turkey running away. And I just intentionally didn't film the hunt because I wanted a bird more than I wanted a video. And, you know... If you're shooting videos, if you need to make hunting videos, if your business is making hunting videos, then you know what? You take those extra chances and you obviously probably hunt way more days to get those chances and put a lot more work in. You get guides, you spend money, you do all kinds of things to be able to make those videos of them coming into the decoys and kicking your Jake and, you know, all of that. But I'm like, that's not the real world. You know, that is not me. That is not where I'm at. That is not hunting turkeys in Pennsylvania. That's for absolutely sure. So I was like, I want to take a turkey. So I'm waiting for the first opportune moment because you never know. He might have taken two more steps forward, seen me, and just took flight. You, anything can happen with these birds. So I waited for the first opportunity that I had 
to, to make what I thought was a decent shot without spooking him and losing the opportunity. You know, sometimes with deer hunting, you're waiting for the first shot that you can get of the vitals, right? It's not just the deer. You don't want to shoot the deer in the rear end. You don't want to shoot the leg on the deer. You don't want to shoot the antlers. Of the, you need a shot at the vitals that's actually going to take that deer down. So you don't just shoot the first part of the deer you see. You got to wait until you have a shot that's going to do the job you need it to do. Same thing with turkey hunting. It's not just shooting at the bird. You need to hit that bird in the right spot. You need to do it when he's off guard and not going to spook. Otherwise, you know, a lot can happen in that, that one split second. So that was the other side to it. People ask, you know, what kind of shells did you use? I think in my gun that day, I was using some Winchester Longbeards number five shot that I've had probably for two or three or four years at this point. You, know, you don't go through a lot of shells in a turkey season in PA because you can only take one bird unless you get a second tag and you know there's not a whole lot of people that buy that tag and get a second bird. So you know you can it's nothing to go through one one shell in a year. Last year I went through zero shells, right? So that let one box to last a while. But here's the interesting thing. I was looking at getting some of the tungsten loads this year. Just trying it, just trying to stack the deck in my favor, you know, $10 a shot to basically add another 10 or 15 yards worth of range. And I shot this bird at 28 yards, you know, whether I was shooting him with, with lead or tungsten or a cruise missile, he couldn't have died any more than he died. You know, it was over. So I felt glad I didn't, didn't spring for that extra money. People say, well, you know, you spend all this money on turkey hunting gear. What's another $10 a season? You know, I would agree with that in a, in, in, a, in a sense. I would agree with that in a sense. Once you have all your turkey hunting gear, which I do, actually I, I even made the comment to my wife that this was my first turkey season where I didn't buy anything for turkey hunting because I had everything I felt that I needed, that I wanted, that was appropriate for turkey hunting. I didn't, I didn't get any new gear. I did get the, the ear protection, but I actually got those primarily for waterfowl hunting. That's where they're, they're needed a lot more, uh, those Tetra Alpha Shields. But with turkey hunting, I was like, well, I've got them. I'm going to wear them. And they actually did an amazing job. But I didn't, I didn't buy anything for turkey hunting this year. Didn't, didn't buy anything for that, you know, because I already had everything I needed to hunt turkeys. I almost did spend that money though on the tungsten rounds. And there's, you know, if you're at that point where you finally have all your gear and you feel good about it and you got a, a gun that you feel good with and you got boots that work good and you got good camo and you got a couple calls that you feel good with and, you know, you just have whatever, whatever helps you hunt the way you want to hunt and you feel satisfied, well, you know, you want to spend another 10 bucks a year on ammo. To me, that's not that big of a thing, but I'm sitting there going, you know, I need to shoot like at least five rounds to try the shotgun at different distances, maybe different chokes. You know, what's my pattern like at 20 yards, 30 yards, 40 yards, 50 yards. And that's just with one choke. Maybe I want to try a couple chokes. You could easily spend a hundred bucks just shooting 10 shells to practice. And then you still need at least three in your gun to go hunting. So I'm like, oh, I'm looking at a $150 play to make this happen. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. 
I spent too much money this year on other kinds of hunting, particularly waterfowl hunting, and uh, I just wasn't going to do it. Didn't want to put 150 in ammo. And as it turns out, you know, anything will kill them within 30 yards. Target loads will take a turkey within 30 yards. And that's really what you strive for is to get a bird within 30 yards so you can have as close to 100% success rate without wounding, losing, or missing a bird. So that worked out perfectly for me. I'm glad I didn't spend all that money on tungsten. Not to say I might not do it in the future, you know, but, you know, I'm just like, hey, I've got these shells still. Let's use them. So that's how it went down. Uh, I hope this was exciting and helpful and entertaining for you guys. Really appreciate you. Make sure you check out the YouTube channel, New Hunter's Guide. Make sure you go to iTunes and leave a review for the New Hunter's Guide. That really helps us reach more people through Apple Podcasts, which is the number one way podcasts are consumed, at least as of today. Every review with a comment uh, really improves our standing and the algorithm and everything else. Helps us rank higher in search. Helps us find new hunters or helps new hunters find this podcast to get them equipped and tooled up and able to, to get out into the woods or, or help them in whatever specific area they need. So really appreciate you guys. Till next time, God bless you and go get them in the woods. <laughs>